Welcome to The Intersection, a podcast on spirituality and social justice with three women of different ages who live in three different states with three different skin colors. Grounded in spirituality and love, we strive to think, speak, and behave in ways that will bring about a better world for all people. We are committed to admitting mistakes and missteps, excited to grow, and willing to make that growth public. We are so grateful that you've clicked play. Thank Thank you for your willingness to grow with us. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. We are excited to talk about a topic called intersectionality. And this was a term that was coined in 1989 by Professor Kimberly Crenshaw that describes how the different pieces of us interact, intersect with each other and overlap. And what my understanding is that this came from the second wave feminist movement and recognizing that we can't join band together as women and act like that's the only thing that's impacting us or important to us. So for example, black and brown bodied women have a very different life experience in America than white-bodied women. And so the idea that there are other factors in our lives, gender, sexual orientation, class, race, that impact how we are experiencing these systems of oppression in America. And for those of you who might be newer to us, when we say systems of oppression, we're talking about capitalism, colonialism, white supremacy, and patriarchy as systems that are in place in America and have been for thousands of years and impact everyone involved, regardless of all of the different factors that make each of us who we are. And so it's important to recognize how these different factors of us, different pieces of us, different identities of us intersect, interact to make us who we are and to recognize those differences as valuable and important when we talk about creating change, when we talk about fighting back against systems of oppression, when we talk about banding together, when we talk about creating community, all of these things are important to recognize, acknowledge, and honor. Interesting story is something that recently happened, like at our school board meeting, they were trying to come together with an equity paddle, right? The way the rules work for school board, whenever three or more are gathered, then it's an official board meeting, right? So they have these three people that are on the board and other people on the board. Specifically, what happened was that this white woman who's on the board, she says that she needed to be a part of the equity team because white voices needed to be heard. White women voices need to be heard. And this is problematic because when you talk about intersectionality and you talk about equity, white women voice is known as heard second only to white men voices, at least in my opinion. It's been, it was white women that got their votes first. It was white women that elected Trump. It was white women have a strong voice. So when we think about intersectionality and we think about that, just like being a white woman, I think about like, I'm a woman also, but I'm also black. So that's a whole totally different thing. I'm also don't have a whole lot of money. That's a whole total different thing too. And all these things all build up to who I am. And that goes back when you look at equity, you have to look at all those things, not just the mainstream thing. Does that make sense? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And my brain is moving because it's not like we're saying 
white women's voices do not matter because everybody's voice matters. But when we're having the conversation about equity and what an equity audit or an equity team is supposed to do, there are these factors to take into consideration about who is the most least marginalized voice in the community that we're trying to uplift and trying to figure out how to get equity for these people. So it's interesting to think about it that way, because it's like- No, most marginalized. Yeah, sorry, the most marginalized. It's really interesting to think about it that way, because I think that's where we get some of the Interesting that before we hit record, I like just Googled intersectionality to make sure I had my own facts straight about who coined the term and stuff. And like a bunch of the first articles that popped up were about like the pushback against intersectionality, like why conservatives are so angry at the word intersectionality, like why they identify it as like intersectionality just creates a caste system and like blah, 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 blah. It's because if we go back to the definition of equity to begin with, like we have different needs. That's why equity is not equality. Like, it's not like this is equal to this. We all have different needs. Those needs are informed by all of these intersections of our identities. Like, I'm really interested in that, in how that unfolds and unpacks, and also like how sometimes it's weaponized, like in the case of what you're sharing right now, Jamila. And this goes back, and I'm sorry about like, this is what happens when my brain is going zoom, 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 zoom. zoom. But before we hit record, too, Amanda kind of, you shared a little bit about the intersectionality of privileges. And I really want you to talk about that a little bit more. But what Jamila shared and what you shared earlier is making me think of something Dr. Rosales Mesa talks about the most violence that she experiences are from white women and men of color because the white woman leans into her that she's a woman and forgets about her privilege of whiteness. And the man of color leans into the fact that he is uh, melanated and forgets his privilege as a man. And so women of color often feel the violence from those two identities the most because they forget about their privileges. Yeah. Well, for me, what I said earlier was that I think it's important to recognize both the intersection of our oppression and also the intersection of our privilege, because those are two factors that are really true. So, for example, when I think about as a woman, like that's part of my oppression when we're looking at the system of patriarchy. But my privilege is that I am a white bodied woman. And also the class that I'm in, that I'm in the middle class. I mean, for whatever extent there is such a thing as a middle class that nowadays, but like that's another topic. But that is a point of privilege. Like as a single mom in living in the town that I was in, I was able to have one job to support my son and myself. There are women that are single moms that have to have multiple jobs to be able to support themselves. And so that's why when I talk about things, I try to focus both on my intersection of my oppression and the intersection of my privilege, because it's important to recognize both are impacting my perspective. And I just want to point out something too. It actually, Jamila, you mentioned back in the day, like the right to vote. And I want to point out it was white men that when women were fighting for the right to vote, men of color were also fighting for the right to vote, let alone that there were women of color that felt very left out of the conversation. But it was white men, and specifically upper middle class or upper class white men, that were putting those as opposition groups. So back in the day, white women were pushing against and actually like the suffragettes campaigned against men of color having the vote. Like they didn't band together But it wasn't because of them. It was because of the white men that made them in opposition to each other. 
well, and the, I want the concept that only one of them could have the vote. So already, like, again, hundreds of years ago, our identities were being, as a function of these systems of oppression, our identities were paired against each other. Well, that was also with that, though, is also with women's suffrage. Yeah, Black men and white women were pitted together. White women were not inviting of Black people into their women's suffrage. They were very much against it. So it always blows my mind when I think about the fact that me personally are part of the first generation of Black women born with the right to vote. I had the right to vote when I was born. My mother didn't have that. So it wasn't that long ago. So when I think I found it very offensive when that lady was like, I need to be a part of the equity team because I'm a white woman and my voice needs to be heard. Well, in Ann Arbor, in our particular place, I live in a predominantly white community, a predominantly white, rich, educated community because I live in a college town. As a result, what happens is a lot of voices that you only hear when it comes to our schools and stuff are white women. So for a white woman to sit on the board and say, well, my voice needs to be heard. Baby, your voice is heard all the time. Every decision that's made is based on rich white people. Every decision that's made, every pushback we get is from rich white people for stuff like this, for equity. So why would you be a part of that? What needs to be a part of it? And the intersectionality of things makes things so much more difficult because you never know where the attack is coming from. Are you against me because I'm a woman? Are you against me because I'm black? Are you against me because I'm poor? Because I'm overweight? Because that's a real thing, too. Like, yep. all of these things. And it just makes things a lot more tenser. But let's talk about that privilege thing more. What about it? About how examples of when or how it comes into play. I'll pop in here for a second because I've been really thinking about my privilege as an able-bodied human being recently. Yep. I just finished probably a month ago, Disability Visibility by Alice Wong, really kind of recently with my work looking at the depiction of disability in the media and how oftentimes we're depicting people with disabilities as the evil character, the hunchback of Notre Dame or the unwanted character, like all of these different things. And the reason why I think this is interesting is because for me, that one is not an area of privilege I talk about often, my able-bodiedness. And it makes me think about like all the other places because it's become so normalized. Like this is just my body. And we've like created stratas in our society that separate me from people whose bodies look different and operate differently from mine. And so when I think about privilege, it's like all the places where the way I am, the way I be, the way I speak has become normal. And Ah. I forget the other ways of existing being speaking that also exist. And that can be really tricky territory because it's like, I think I said this last week too, it's like trying to identify the air that you're breathing. Like we're so used to breathing it that it's really difficult to figure out like, what is this air that I'm breathing? But when we're talking about privilege and oppression, my inability to identify that air as something that I'm breathing and I'm benefiting from, my inability to see that is also my inability to understand that other people are suffocating because that is the air that we share. And I think about that as privilege a lot. Like if I can't see my own privilege, that means I cannot understand the ways that other people are dying from the privileges that I hold. Yeah. 
That's deep. Wow. Yeah. That's really deep. I thought that's funny when you talk about your able-bodiedness because that's nothing that you really think about until you lose that ability, at least for me. And then I think about, like, my mom is left-handed. And I think Janera was left-handed and Jayla's left-handed too. But Jayla and Janera were forced to learn how to use their right hand, right? So I was talking to my mom one day and long story short, our world is built for right-handed people, right? And it's dangerous for left-handed people because they have to learn how to do everything with their right hand or they try to do with their left hand, but door handles are on the wrong side for, or a different side for them, getting on the bus, pan for things, writing, cutting, like the scissors or at work. And it's just another able-bodied thing or privileged thing that I never even thought about. Like, it's a privilege to be right-handed. Isn't that crazy? Mm. I do also appreciate you bringing up able-bodiedness because it is something that is so often overlooked, so often overlooked. And it is something that has a huge impact in our experience of the world, you know? Yeah. Or about mental health. That's a new shaky thing, too. I've noticed that, thankfully, people are becoming more aware of how mental health affects people, especially since the pandemic. They've realized how crazy it could be. But at the same time, there's still such a stigmatism to it. Stigma to it. Stigmatism, Lord have mercy. Stigma to it. And that it's kind of dangerous in a sense that people make assumptions for you because you have mental health diagnosis. And that's a part of a intersexuality too, because when, what happened is that if you already have one strike against you because you're female, you won't strike against you, or people looking at you crazy because you're female of color and no mental diagnosis, that just makes life as a whole, everything more difficult when it's known. I'm looking at the definition of intersectionality being used to describe how race, class, gender, and other individual characteristics intersect with one another and overlap. And like thinking of bringing up the able bodies, like those other individual characteristics, you know, like it doesn't even get named in this one because it's like so normal. But it's also like, when I think about intersectionality, I also think about, it's almost like it's the ways that we are unique I want to say snowflake, but I know that it has so it has another connotation in, in this conversation. But but I think it's the good metaphor because like we're all unique individuals. We're not the same as any other person ever. We're made of all these unique characteristics that make us special, that make us different, and those differences are beautiful and wonderful. And we need one another because we don't all have the same gifts. And so when I think about intersectionality and I think about oppression. I also think about like, how do we understand intersectionality and use it to move toward our liberation too? Because it's a, like, we can look at all of the ways these things overlap and our society doesn't accept us for those things, or it could demand that our society changes and assert that like, I am unique, I am special, and I deserve anything the same as the person beside me. I want to bring up one specific thing. I had a little bit of an interesting combative moment with a loved one in my life about work. And I don't really want to talk to you, Amanda, about this because Amanda's the worthiness witch. So talk, like Amanda talks about worth all the time. And I was trying to say, like, our worth doesn't come from what we do. Like, it doesn't come from what we do. It comes from who we are. And this was so mind-blowing to this loved one that I was having this conversation with. And he was like, 
what do you mean? Like, we need to work. You need to contribute to the society. Like, that's like how you know your value because you're contributing to the society. You're contributing to the community. Like, that's where your worth is. And I was like, okay, so you're telling me if somebody was got into a car accident and was entirely like their body was taken away from them, they couldn't do things that that life is no longer worth anything. That's what you're saying to me. And it just stopped him like straight in his tracks. Like he didn't have the answer to that. And so when I think about intersectionality, I also think about worth and I think about like some way to think about how we get closer to liberation and away from oppression is to also see how do we really inhabit all of these parts of ourselves, our race, our class, our gender, all of these other religions, all of these characteristics, and how do we continue to assert those things and really embody them unapologetically so that we can build the world that accepts all of us for all of the unique ways that we are? I think our uniqueness is really our strength. I want to really pull on what you said about how because we all are different, we all have different strengths. You didn't say those exact words, but that's basically what it is, is that like if the three of us were to say, we would be able to help each other grow and stretch out as much as we do with each other because we all have different intersectionalities and different perspectives and us all being different, period. So we have to figure out a way to celebrate those things or to at least acknowledge that it's not something to be afraid of. I think a lot of this stuff comes from fear, fear of things that are different, fear of losing something, fear of thinking different, just fear of being different. Bear with me a second. I think that our current culture steals our imagination. It's like kills our imagination when we are like young. And so part of it isn't just fear. It's part of it that we are so used to not imagining that we cannot imagine something different, better, more beautiful, more aligned, more functional than what is. So when we talk, when people are like, that's just how it's been, first of all, there is some animosity slash privilege in that statement, right? Like, if I had to suffer through it, why should you not have to? But also, like, it's because our imagination is stolen from us when we are so young. And so it's not just fear. And Carol, to go back to what you were saying with this conversation with the loved one, when you started talking about like the person that wasn't able to do any work, first of all, like what a capitalist description of worth as a human, what came to my mind was Kada. Like Kada is just turned two. She's not able to work. Therefore, she has no worth. Like clearly your loved one, right? (laughs) Clearly your loved one could not argue with that one. They love that little crunchkin, right? Totally. Right. But like Kate is not bringing in home the bacon, (laughs) (laughs) but she clearly has worth. And the way I have come to explain it is like this creative force in the universe, whatever you want to call it, this creative force, the universe that made like butterfly wings so intricate and different on the front and the back and made the biodiversity of the Amazon rainforest wasn't like, let's just make another human like Carol, whatever, just make another human right? Like you were intentionally brought here. Like the creative forcing universe doesn't spend time and intention on some things and then other things are an afterthought or no thought. So the creative force in the universe that that are the reason any of this is here is intentional. Like that's the basis of it, intentionality. And so if I can recognize that that penguin is cool and intentional and very different than 
the ostrich who's that's cool and intentional, then I'm cool and intentional too. Yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> I like that. When I kind of like, when you think about it like that and be like, oh, like I'm not an afterthought. I'm not just here randomly. Like I am here intentionally. Then we can kind of go, okay, so I am made to be me and be here. And then if we can extend that to others, right? So I'm made to be here just as I am. Carol, you're made to be here just as you are. Jamila, you're made to be just here just as you are. Then what makes us different is also really important. Just like if you go in any natural environment, there is diversity. Even if you go to a, a forest that looks like I live in the Pacific Northwest. If you go to a forest that looks like all pine trees, they're not all damn pine trees. There's spruce, there's dug fir, there's pine. You know what I'm saying? Like there's so many different trees that make up a forest that even kind of looks like it's the same. It's not the same. And then if you look closer, then we're going to find ferns and different flowers and trillium. And if you go underneath, we're going to have the mycelium and all the mushrooms that Mm -hmm. pop up. So like there's no natural environment that is mono. Homogeneous, yeah. Yeah, it's all really intentionally diverse because they need each other to survive and thrive. And so humans are a natural thing. We are. (laughs) Therefore, we actually need the diversity of humans to survive and thrive. We cannot survive in a vacuum where everything was exactly the same. And it would be boring. It would also be boring. boring. If everything was the same all the time, it would be. And I think about, Jamila, what you're saying about, well, Amanda, you just said this too, about the three of us. Like, when I get into these conversations with the two of you, I always learn so much. And that doesn't come because of our sameness. That comes because of our differences and like our unique experiences that we bring to the table. And there are things that Amanda and Jamila have shared with me like on and off this podcast that I have like spent time thinking about in my life and going, oh, I wonder how that shows up for me. I wonder what I am meant to learn from this. Oh, that shows up for me here. If I was only just talking to myself all the time, I would not grow. (laughs) I would not grow. And when you're talking about the biodiversity, essentially, there's this segment of braiding sweetgrass. Robin Waldkimmer talks about the three sisters, the plants that um, Mm, corn, beans, and what's squash, squash, and how indigenous people were planting those things together, and all of them were growing and thriving. And then colonizers came, and they were like, "No, corn goes over here in this one field, squash goes over here in this one field," and then the land started to get really messed up because they didn't understand the necessity of that kind of biodiversity in order for literal growth. So if plants need that kind of diversity to grow, why wouldn't human beings? Then you also have to think about the fact that we're made from the land, regardless of what everything that's in the land is inside of us. So if we're talking about a biological level, we need each other there too. Does that make sense? Yeah. So We're getting to the end of the time that we have available to record. So what are some last thoughts on intersectionality? My last thoughts are, these are not our last thoughts. Like this is a longer conversation (laughs) than I I anticipated. I thought we were going to kind of define it and go, but like intersectionality unfolds all of these other topics. Like it unfolds all of these other unique experiences, both of privilege and oppression. 
And intersectionality helps us look for patterns along certain lines, but it also helps us understand people are unique and individual. And so that can feel like a paradox sometimes. And I think that we should come back to this conversation and do it some more. <laughs> My final thoughts is that our intersectionality is so important. It's so important for us to acknowledge it, to live in it, and recognize that we aren't all the same. And that that's not only okay, but that's by design, and it makes us stronger as a whole. I love the way you brought up the natural design of things, Amanda. That is so awesome. It just really clicked for me. I think one thing that I'm taking away from this conversation is that I think it's fairly easy to recognize our own personal intersectionality. Like if I stop for a minute and think about like what makes me me, and there's these different parts, both again, intersections of oppression and intersection of privilege, then I think it's fairly easy to do that if we take a moment. And if I value that in and of itself, meaning like that's what makes me me, then it's easy if I'm willing to apply that value to others. And so it's taking the time to think about it as important to who I am, ergo, it's important to each of every other person on the planet. And if I'm willing to take that time and see that value both in myself and others, then the openness to connect and create and move forward, it unfolds. Thanks for listening, y'all. We love you. We love you so much. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening to The Intersection, Spirituality and Social Justice. We hope this podcast made you think and feel and that you carry that with you into the conversations you have in your own life. We also know that our conversation is incomplete without you. We would love to keep in touch. Follow us on Instagram at the period intersection period podcast and find our individual Instagrams in the show notes. We can't wait to hear from you.